Hello and welcome to episode two of the Invasive Species podcast. I'm Graham Rudd, co-founder and business manager of Invasive Weeds Agency. And with me today is IWA's project officer, Jed Van Hagen. Thanks to everyone who downloaded the first episode and has everyone that's subscribed to the series so far. Uh, today we're going to look at the uh, main invasive weeds that are affecting the UK and how to identify those in springtime. To accompany the audio, there will be some photographs and links to various identification resources. We're also going to look at an invasive species affecting the coast of the USA, and that's the lionfish. So to kick us off, Jed, could you please tell us about giant hogweed and the risk it poses to the UK and how to identify it in springtime, please? Giant hogweed is another uh, common invasive plant species in the UK. It was another large ornamental plant brought in by the Victorians, actually from uh, the Caucasus, uh, from Russia. And it can grow to a, a huge height of around five metres in some cases. It's a very imposing plant and uh, it's found in the same situations as Japanese knotweed in uh, around riverbanks and railways. And although it doesn't pose the same threat to buildings and structures that the Japanese knotweed does, it actually has a, a much uh, greater health risk. And that's posed by the phototoxic sap that it can excrete from the small white hairs on the stem. Now, this is a phototoxic sap which can degrade the UV protection given by your skin. This sap can cause something which is akin to a, a severe sunburn. So the sap strips the melanin from your skin which leaves you with a, a lack of UV protection. And if this comes in contact with the eyes, it can also cause temporary blindness. And it's a, a particular concern when this grows near uh, parks and, and areas where uh, children may be playing. What does giant hogweed look like in springtime? At this time of year, giant hogweed will be a single green leaf uh, dark green in colour with serrated edges and this will then become a pair of leaves and um, replicate in this way as the plant develops. This, the plant is covered in, the stem of the plant is covered in white hairs uh, which are more noticeable as, as the plant uh, grows in stature. Okay, so the next weed that we're interested in is Himalayan balsam. What does Himalayan balsam look like at this time of year and what effect does balsam have on other species? Uh, balsam can look quite similar to uh, a giant hogweed seedling at this time of year. It's also a very small plant although it develops in pairs. So there'll be a, a pair of small uh, curved green leaves that have a reddish purple tint around the edge of those leaves. Um, they then turn into threes and grow uh, in a variable fashion in layers of three leaves which are quite distinctive and don't look like many other native plants of the British Isles. Himalayan balsam also doesn't pose a, a risk structurally to buildings um, in the way that Japanese knotweed does. However, because of its high seed count and um, its ability to disperse seeds up to seven metres, it can create a huge seed bank in soil and areas where it, uh, where it infests, which can mean that it can create a huge monoculture which will reduce native biodiversity hugely. This can mean that even after 
spraying or, uh, or other pooling eradication methods um, that the seed bank can produce plants for three to five years even after that. So it can be a, a hugely lengthy problem to try and eradicate. Okay, and I know we touched upon Japanese knotweed in the podcast last time, so I don't want to labour it, but just very quickly um, describe what Japanese knotweed looks like at this time of year. At this time of year, there's really not a lot to see. Um, there are, dead canes will obviously still be there from the winter, but at this time of year, there will be some very small red buds growing uh, in amongst the base of the dead canes uh, in the crown. And these, over the next few weeks and month or so, will develop into the telltale small asparagus-like tips um, with leaves that will then unfurl. Okay, thanks for that, Jed. So before we move on to talk about lionfish, I'd like to mention a conference that's coming up next week. Um, there, I think there are still some tickets available for it. It's the Invasive Non-Native Specialist Association that we are members of, and the annual conference is on Tuesday the 24th of March at the Museum of Science and Industry in Manchester. And now there'll be some excellent speakers lined up. There's Dr. John Bailey, the world-renowned expert in invasive species. Graham Ellis, the professional practice executive from the RICS. Kate Faulkner from Designs on Property. Uh, Kate Davies, chairman of the Property Codes Compliance Board. Jerry Fitzjohn from the Property Ombudsman, uh, Ombudsman. And Paul Broadhead, head of mortgage policy for the Building Societies Association. For anyone wanting more information on the INSA conference, then please visit insa.org. That's I-N-N-S-A dot org. Moving on to the topic of lionfish. The lionfish is a species that's causing severe problems in the Atlantic Ocean, uh, in the southeast coast of the US, the Caribbean, and parts of the Gulf of Mexico. So. The species originates in the Indo-Pacific and there's some debate over how it was introduced into the Atlantic. There's one theory that it escaped from aquariums uh, due to hurricane damage. There's a school of thought that aquariums on the coast with um, systems in place where they, they take the, the, the salt water in from the ocean and deposit uh, the, the kind of used water back out then the fry and the eggs could have been transferred in that manner and there's also um, some belief that people pet owners and people who keep fish uh, and decide that they don't want sub what they class as substandard fish have just thrown them out into the sea um, so that it can live a happy life without being trapped in a tank anymore so there is a lot of debate surrounding that However, we don't want to get caught up in that too much. Um, we just want to look at the, the effect it's having on the environment and, and what can be done about it. So, Jed, would you be able to give us some more information on lionfish and what the, the problem is? The issue with lionfish, as with many other invasive species, is that the, they have a lack of natural controls on the population. Uh, in this case, it would be a lack of predators or... Uh, effect from disease or parasites um, and this is mainly due to two uh, attributes of the lionfish. One is that it has highly venomous spines which are uh, very successful at warding off predators. This means that it's unlikely to be uh, uh, as 
population is unlikely to be controlled in the same way as uh, by other native uh, predators. Um, another, uh, another reason that its numbers have been increasing so rapidly is because of its ability to reproduce on a monthly basis, uh, which is unusual um, compared to a lot of other native species. And this means that the population is rising much more rapidly than it can be controlled either naturally or through human intervention. I saw on a few websites that there's um, quite regularly fishing competitions for lionfish. Some of the events were offering prizes for the biggest lionfish caught, the smallest lionfish caught and the largest number of lionfish caught. And there have certainly been quite positive results from, from human intervention and, and people deliberately trying to protect reefs that, uh, from lionfish. But um, there's definitely an ongoing problem, as with many invasive marine creatures, that it, it's very, very hard to eradicate them. Uh, in fact, it's, it's borderline impossible because um, of the nature of the, of the ocean and being able to track down absolutely every individual. It's estimated that uh, a cull of 27% of the adult population would be necessary in order to control numbers from this date forth. And this is a figure that's you know, pretty much unachievable uh, without a huge influx of manpower. Yeah, there's um, even with the interest in lionfish along the, the coast of the States and people wanting to eat them, um, it's it's just not going to be enough, unfortunately. But hopefully, an industry will develop for control of lionfish. There's certainly already companies selling various bits of fishing gear designed to deal with lionfish, and people wearing um, the correct safety uh, equipment, uh, such as um, puncture-resistant gloves, so that they can handle these fish if they do catch them. Um, I would think if if an industry sort of pops up. Much the way in the same, uh, much along the lines of the Japanese knotweed industry in the UK, then maybe that will be enough to get a bit closer to that figure you're talking about there. I found a website this week that has just launched the World Register of Introduced Marine Species. Now, this is a great resource where you can go and find out um, what alien species there are at certain locations. And it's a, it's a good way of tracking invasive species across the globe. Within the website, you're able to, on the databases, you're able to search individual species and then find the references and any data regarding the, the species in question. So we'll put a link to that within this podcast. You'll be able to click on it. But anyone that wants to just go straight to it, it's marinespecies.org. Um, it's a fantastic resource. The University of Auckland have been involved with it and the World Register of Marine Species is certainly going to become more and more prevalent. At, at, moment, at the moment they've got 1,457 species recorded and I'm sure that number is, will rise as and when people re record more invasives across the globe. So just a quick reminder of the INSA conference uh, next Tuesday in Manchester. If anyone wants to go to that then please either get in touch with ourselves um, at JapaneseNotWeed.com um, or contact INSA directly. You can email info at INSA.org and INSA is I-N-N-S-A.org. Thank you very much for listening 
and next week we're going to bring you some more stories about invasive species affecting the UK and further afield and we're also going to hopefully uh, have a special guest on the show if everything goes to plan. So I'm Graham Rudd, Invasive Weeds Agency, my colleague Jed Van Hagen. Thanks a lot and speak to you next time. IWA, getting to the root of the problem. Okay.